0: Go to, there were 50 or 60 of them there. And they invited Debbie and I. I'm always uncomfortable in those situations. I don't like big crowds. I don't like big crowds I don't know. I don't like big crowds that I don't know who are drinking. I, there's a lot of things about it I didn't care for, but I went with Debbie. And I, I know she wanted to go. And do you know in that, in that conversation, in that visit, I had three distinctly gospel conversations with people who ask about things that were said in the funeral service. And I told my friend Rick Hughes two days ago, I said, I would never, I would have never have gone there. I would go there to eat, but I would sit in a booth and not talk to anybody. But I told Deb, I told Rick, I said, I want you to just go over there with me some, and let's just sit at the bar and talk to these people. Because I got a chance to share the gospel three times with people That I least expected to do that. It was wonderful. We've seen God's power to heal and comfort. To laugh. To enjoy. But I know that realistically a very long road is still ahead. I know that. So this message today is for me as it is much for you. Um. It is, it is truth. One of the, one of the comments that came to me at that pub that other afternoon is one of the gentlemen who said, he said, I've, my dad's a preacher and I've gone to church. He said, I don't go to church now. But he said, you said something that I didn't realize that the Bible is the word of God. God. And he said, it should, you, you made the comment that it should be taken as truth. And he said, I've always read the Bible, but I've never thought of it as the word of God. And I said, well, brother, this book is God's word to us. And every word of it is truth. Not just the parts that we like or agree with. There's some parts in here that I have a hard time with. And they're truth too. And in times of loss, you go to this book and you take these words and you apply them to your life. And these are God's words to you. In times of joy, you do that. In times when you're being convicted by God, you go here and you read this book and you apply that to your life as it's written. It is truth. The passage today is truth. It is not nice to hear words. It's not something that we just read at a funeral. It's not something that we just read to make ourselves feel better. It is Jesus' deathbed instructions to his disciples. This is what you have to know. And so as a church, this this is what we have to know. Let me read it to you and I'm going to talk to you about it. John chapter 14, verse 27 through 31. Listen to this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Your heart must not be troubled or fearful. You have heard me tell you I'm going away and I'm going and I'm coming to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. I will not talk to you much longer because the ruler of the world is coming. He has no power over me. On the contrary, I am going away so that the world may know that I love the Father just as the Father has commanded me. So I do. Get up and let's leave this place. Father, speak to us today as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I have a few things to say. I want to tell you, first of all, that the peace of Jesus is like no other peace. There's no other peace like the one he gives. He was facing death. The world of his disciples was literally falling apart. It was, it was, they were grieving. They didn't even fully know why they were grieving. They didn't fully understand the loss that they were about to have. Their future was unclear. It was unsafe, It it seemed like all that they had worked for, these guys had given their life up for Christ. They had literally given everything up and now he said he was going away. They had no security. No security. It all appeared to them that their life had been poured away in vain. It was a dark night. It appeared to them that the devil would win that God would not triumph. But Jesus told them in the very presence of all of this difficulty that he would give them peace, that he would triumph, that he would prevail, and that in the future they would have peace that only, only God could offer them. That's all they would have. That's what life looks like. Because sometimes we're overwhelmed by darkness, by despair. I think when we wrestle with problems with money, problems with job, with addiction, whether it's drugs or alcohol, with sickness and illness, with cancer, with terminal illnesses of all sorts, it looks to us like sorrow wins. Like death wins. I've talked a lot about depression this week, and what I hear from people that are depressed is that they feel like they're in a black hole they can't get out of. A black hole that you can't get out of. That's a bad place. And and you just add one or two circumstances to a dark hole that you can't get out of. And you can have what we saw in our family. On our own, there is no peace. You and I can't manufacture peace. We can sit around and I can tell you funny stories or you can tell me funny stories or we can buy things or we can sell things or we can wear things or we can watch things on our new TVs But we cannot create peace like this on our own. There's no amount of human comfort that can bring us peace. We can't come up with peace by ourselves. So Jesus contrasted the peace that he would give and the peace that he would leave against the world's peace. And I thought about these things. The world bases its peace on resources, on personal ability, on your ability to to weather a storm, on, on your ability to, to, to manage your home. On your ability to work as a, as a good provider for your home. You can say, well, I bring peace to my home because I'm a good provider and I bring home a good income. Let me tell you, that means nothing. It has no value beyond a paycheck. But yet a lot of us are deceived in that. We think that brings real peace. Uh, To the world, peace is something that you hope for, you try to achieve, and that maybe even you work for. It's something that you gain. I've heard this said, and and you know that we want to work our whole life so that we can retire and have a few things and enjoy our retirement. We want to have a little peace and a little rest and a little relaxation. Or may, maybe on a vacation, you say, well, I've worked really hard and I've had a long season and I just need to have a time of peace and rest and respite. It's temporary. Do you know what i found? Vacations aren't perfect either. Have you ever noticed that vacations aren't perfect? You plan for them and you think they're going to be perfect and, wow, they're not. It's too hot, the air conditioner doesn't work, something breaks, the kids are too noisy. There's something about it. If you're not a believer in Christ, you have peace when there's no trouble. <laughs> no trouble? You have peace? You read all the Christmas cards, and Christians and non Christians send Christmas cards that say peace on earth. Their idea of peace is no trouble. A few days off, good presents around the tree, they have peace. That's a good, peaceful Christmas. Christians enjoy peace in spite of trials. To a believer, peace comes with a relationship with God. That's the sole source of peace. I hope I hope you all know that. I hope that you know that. I hope that in your work and in your toil and in your priority effort that the only peace that you will have in this world comes through a relationship in Christ. I hope you know that. Because I hope you know that everything else can vanish like that and be gone. A relationship with Christ endures forever. Uh, a believer finds peace in Christ. Peace actually is a wonderful gift from God. It comes irregardless of circumstances. It's only by faith. You, you get peace by faith. You don't you don't earn it. You don't say, well, I'm a I'm a mature Christian. I've been a Christian since I'm 11. I'm 62. I should have a lot of peace in my life. That's not true. It only comes as a gift. It only comes when God gives it. It doesn't come because I've earned it or I've worked for it or I've achieved it or I've read my Bible all the way through or that I'm a preacher or that I've done all of these things. It doesn't come because you've done those things. It only comes because... God gives it. And all of this means a couple of things. It means the world finds peace in finances, in physical security, a nice home, a nice place to live, a nice car to drive. When, in and, and the world, health is a sign of peace. We all say, well, I've had a good year. We're, we're all healthy. A good diagnosis to the office brings peace. We, we go in turmoil, we come home in peace. That's the world's concept of peace. We all are caught up in that to some degree. I am, you are, we all are. When we gather our family around and everybody is happy, we feel like we have peace. We gathered our family together Christmas day and all seemed well in our family. Apparently wasn't. But you know, these things are just appearances of peace. Real peace comes when we have no finances. The peace that Christ gives us can come when we have no wealth, when we have no physical security. It can come in the presence of life-threatening illness. It can come in the presence of a terminal diagnosis. When cancer invades your home, when a loved one is at the hospice home, you can have peace in Christ. When our loved ones are on our deathbeds, you can have peace in Christ. Peace can come when your child takes their life. Not because of what we did, but because of what Christ did. I've heard once, if I've heard a hundred times, I couldn't bear such a loss. Well, three weeks ago, I couldn't have either. Or Debbie couldn't have either. Or Matthew's dad couldn't have either. But God has given us sufficient grace and peace to bear such a loss. When our life is changed from order to chaos... Christ gives us peace. I want you to know that. I want you to know that's what he does, is he brings order to chaos. That's peace. That's the peace of Christ. It's only the peace that Christ has. If you trust anything else for your peace, you are on shaky ground. I want you to know it. I don't want you to know it as a preacher. I don't want you to know it because it's in the Bible. I want you to know it because God has shown me that. That nothing else matters except your relationship in Christ. Nothing else in your home. Nothing else in your work. Nothing else with your children or your grandchildren or your friends at school. Nothing matters but your relationship in Christ. So we should talk to them about it. We should look those that we love in the eye and share that with them. We should tell our neighbors about it. We ought to go tell the folks at the pub about it because it's the best news in the world. That in the midst of our greatest loss, the peace that Jesus gives is like nothing else. Now, Jesus said briefly, I want to talk to you about this, what he said. I've talked a lot about it but I want to talk to what he, he said peace i give you and my peace that i'll leave with you there i've looked for a distinction aj i can't find a distinction in what he gives us and what he leaves us the bible tells us over in romans chapter 1 that something that we that we that we just don't think of all the time and and that is over in romans he says that he Therefore, listen to this, therefore we have been declared righteous by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ and through him we have obtained access into his grace in which we stand. Paul was telling about the wondrous, gift of salvation, how great it is. And I, you know, I forget that sometimes how wonderful it is. But when Christ went to the cross, when he left the upper room of his disciples and went to the cross and died for us, he made peace with us and God. Until that time, peace was not possible. You could not have peace with God. It wasn't possible, but he made peace. And Paul says that here, that we've been declared righteous. I'm not righteous, but God, in his gracious mercy, declared me righteous because of Christ, and therefore, we have peace with God. That's a reason for peace. That's the peace that Jesus leaves us. So you can wake up at night and not be overwhelmed by your guilt and your pain and your failure and all of the things that you have done or have not done. You, as a believer, have peace with God that he gave you. Church, How about celebrating that one? Peace with God. That's a big deal. That's a really big deal. Without the work of Christ, there would be no peace. If you don't have peace with God today, you either don't have Christ or you don't trust him at what he tells you. And in my case, that's what I continually have to do is to come back to this passage of scripture, Romans 5, chapter 1, and read that and say, God meant that for me. It meant it for you. You have peace with God. Christ, the finished work of the cross, gives us peace. Over over in Hebrews, uh, over, over in Colossians, he, he does the very same thing, and I found that passage, and I wanted to share it with you. He says, for God was pleased to have in all of his fullness dwell in him. Through him to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through his blood. That's what he did. That's what the cross did. He made peace through his blood. So I want you to know, first of all, if you don't get anything else, Christ brings you peace like no other peace. There is no peace like the peace of Christ. If you have Christ in your life, then you have peace that he has given you. You have the peace of salvation, of forgiveness of your sin, and you have the peace to overcome anything that comes in life. Jesus did not present this as an overwhelming circumstance to his disciples. He said, what you have to remember, guys, is that I'm going to give you peace and I'm going to leave you peace. in all of the chaos that's going to follow this event, I'll bring you peace. That's the first thing. He gives us peace like nothing else. The second thing is his peace keeps our hearts from being troubled. Now, I don't know if you noticed that in this passage of scripture, but if you go to John chapter 14, verse 27, and you go to John chapter 14, verse one, they're almost verbatim. Your heart must not be troubled, Jesus said in 14.1. And over here he said, your heart must not be troubled or fearful. That is a directive, a commandment. It's not a request. It's not a... You should try to keep your heart from being troubled. That's the best that I can muster on my own strength. I can try for it not to be troubled. But when I read this passage of scripture, as I did on Saturday night, about 730 to my wife, I said, you must not be troubled. That's what Jesus said, not what I said. It's not my word. He gave us a directive. And the only way that you can do that is you focus on not the problem, but you focus on God and what he has done to overcome the problem and what he has done to overcome the situation. You you know what trouble is. And I started thinking about that and I said, okay, I can describe that perfectly for you. I can tell you exactly what trouble feels like. It's a weight on your body. It keeps you awake. It raises your blood pressure. It makes you stare into space when somebody's talking to you. Trouble takes whatever joy there is in a moment. It keeps us from worship. You can come here on Sunday morning and all the joy and all the friendship and all the fellowship and you can be troubled with all the things that are around you. But Jesus said, do not be troubled. And then he added in this passage, like those of us that need it, he added it. He said, don't be fearful either. Don't be fear, afraid of things. Don't. Don't be fearful or troubled. Those disciples would have a bait full of things they could be fearful and troubled about. They could be worried about what happened to Jesus. They could be worried even more about what would happen to them, about their standing with the Romans, about all the issues that were before them. They knew exactly, they knew exactly what was going to happen. They were going to be fearful and troubled. Jesus said, Don't be fearful and troubled. And then over in the first verse, he gives us reasons not to be troubled. Listen to them. Read them out of your Bible. Believe in God and believe in Jesus. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. We can be confident of that. We can be sure that in the Father's house, there are many dwelling places. I love this word, the Father's house. You and I think of heaven as some great big majestic place and it certainly is that the Bible gives us that but Jesus says here heaven is like the father's house and in the father's house everybody has a seat and in the father's house every child has their own room and has their own place to live with the father and Jesus said that when he goes just as surely as he goes he's coming back the proof of his coming back is his going That's why you shouldn't be troubled. And so we cling. I think somebody's horn's blowing. It's okay. It doesn't bother me if it doesn't bother you. Yeah, it doesn't bother me. So Jesus told us why not to be troubled. So here's my advice to you. Underline this passage of scripture in your Bible. And when you face trouble, you go to it and you believe it and you take it to heart and you don't question it because our Lord gave it to you for this time and he gave it to you beforehand so you can study it so now on a good day you can study and apply it and learn it then on a bad day you can pull it out and say I know where it is and I know what it says but I'm going to read it and cling to it like a life raft in a stormy sea peace keeps our hearts from being troubled number three death's not our greatest enemy Jesus said that he was going away. That meant death. Jesus didn't say he was going to die. Didn't say he was going to be crucified. Didn't say that he was going to die a terrible death. He said, I'm going away. That's all you guys need to know. I'm going away. But you've heard me tell you that I'm going away. When he said that in the first few verses, he said, I'm going away to do what? To prepare a place for you. So whatever whatever he's going to do while he's gone wasn't there before he left. He's going to prepare a place for you. But here he says, you've heard me tell you I'm going away and I'm coming to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced that I'm going away. Did you catch that? If you really love me, you would rejoice that I'm dying. Did you catch it, believers? Did you catch it that when we lose a loved one, that we love them and care for them, that maybe the best thing that we can say for them is that we loved them enough to let them go. Back to the father. They're not They're not here. They're not sick. They're not suffering. They're not worried. They're not troubled. They're not in this world of sin. They're gone to be with the father to live in his house. That's where they've gone. You don't have to wonder about where a person has gone. We didn't lose our loved ones. We know exactly where they are. They're with the father. And if you, wanna, if you want assurance and if you want comfort and if you want satisfaction in this life, you make sure that every one of your loved ones know the Father because you'll see him again. That's the promise of the Father. Death is not our greatest enemy. What is our greatest enemy? I think despair. I think hopelessness in this world. I think, I think when we have moments when we don't have hope, that's our greatest enemy. That's, that's the one thing that can separate us from what God is saying. You can be so depressed. You can be so sorrowful. You can be so down. You can be so dejected that you don't even listen to the word of God. But God offers you comfort right here. That's what he does. That's not your biggest enemy. And then, and then Jesus said, He had a reason to go to the Father. Uh, I've told you this now before it happens so that when it happens, you might believe. I've never understood that verse until this week. And you know what I understood from that verse was? Is that you're not going to understand it until you read it and apply it in your life. I can read the Bible all day. But until I read it to believe it and to apply it, it's just another book. But when you take the Bible and you open the pages of the Bible and you read it and you say, this is truth for me, this is something I can apply in my life. This is something that Jesus said this, the Bible said this right here, I'm going to trust this. I'm going to base my life on it. That means a lot more. And then when it happens, you can say, the Bible told us so. That's exactly right. You know, everybody gets all tore up about the state of our world. You know, I'm not... I can't tell you how little I care about the state of our world. I, I really can't. And I'm, I'm reasonably informed in politics. I'm reasonably informed in national affairs. i reasonably reasonably informed in the things that go on day to day. But do you know every time I open a headline, I just think of what what the Bible says about it. And the Bible always says that things aren't going to get better in the end they're going to get worse. So when they're getting worse, I know we're getting close to the end. I don't worry about that. Now, young people, listen, guys, I'm not saying y'all don't have a full life because, you know, God might, he might come back at 500 years from now. We don't know when he's coming back. He might come back this afternoon. But he said that the world's gonna get worse. We just don't know how much worse it's gonna get before he decides enough's enough. But God's in control of all this because the Bible shows that this is the way the world will be. I'm not worried about it. It doesn't bother me at all. When people are dishonest and immoral and evil, That's exactly what the Bible says. That's exactly the way God portrayed the last days. Number four, the ruler of the world has a word. I'm I'm getting to the end, I know. A.J. sang a lot of beautiful songs. I've got something to say. We're just going to work with me. (laughs) The ruler of the world has a word, but he doesn't have the last word. I'm sure the disciples thought he would have a word. Jesus gave him a comment. He said, he said, I will not talk to you much longer because the ruler of the world is coming. He has no power over me. I want you to know the devil has no power over a believer. He will not affect you one iota in your life. He can't take your soul. He can't, you can't lose your salvation from him. He He can't take anything away that God has promised. He might make your life difficult. He will tempt you. He will lie to you. He will deceive you. He will discourage you. He will do all kinds of things, but all the stuff he does is on the surface. He has no power. He has a word, but not the last word. The world looked like they would come and arrest Jesus and take him to trial and that he would be tortured and put to the cross. And it looked like there for a moment, it looked like the devil had the last word, but he did not. And Jesus warned them. And he said that as much, this is a word for us. I want you to know the ruler of the world is coming. He has no power over Christ. That's right out of the Bible. The ruler of the world is here and among us, but he has no power over Christ. He will have an effect. He can make our lives uncomfortable. He can make us want to go to the Father, but he cannot take anything eternal away. Do not worry about the devil. He has a word, but not the last word. He has no power. You know what the great thing about the Bible is? The Bible tells about the great battle between good and evil. It talks about the battle between God and Satan. And the, and the Bible also tells who wins in the end. So it's really crazy. The devil, everybody tells me how smart he is. I think he must be smart. But if he knows how it ends, why is he still doing it? It's already told how he's going to end. And God will win. Lastly, Jesus said this word, I could have never made this point three weeks ago. Now get up and leave this place. Jesus had, had, had this great speech that covered in John 14, talks about the Father, talks about the rooms in the heaven, talks about going to prepare a place for you, talks about the way, I am the way, the truth and life, nobody comes to the Father except by me. And then, and then he says down in verse 12, he says, the world, the one who believes in me will do works greater than what I did. That's hard for us to believe, but Jesus worked in a small place in Palestine. He impacted a very few people in the gospel through the Holy Spirit within within a thirty years, within fifty years, had traveled to millions of people in the world. And now to hundreds of millions of people in the world, because the power that was in Christ Jesus lives in this church. You know that, don't you? He's in you. He's in me. He's not here just to encourage us or just to build us up or just to make us feel good or just to help us get over our troubles, but he's here to take the gospel to people that we don't know. And so, so two weeks ago, or last Saturday afternoon, when I went out of there, I had no intention other than of just getting through this uncomfortable social situation, but the gospel that lives in me forced itself out to people that needed to hear it. That's how it works. So Jesus said in this great chapter, the one who believes in me will do works greater than what I did. You and I have a hard time. I have a hard time to think. But altogether, this church, the impact of this church, the Holy Spirit working within believers, we can do greater works than he did. We can have a greater impact, a larger footprint, if you would. We like to talk about footprints now. The Christian church has the ability with the Holy Spirit to have a footprint that is unbelievable across this world. If you look at what missionaries are doing and what the church is doing, how churches are impacting and changing the lives of people, it's all done through the Holy Spirit. And then what AJ talked about last week, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. He told all of that. And then when he, he reiterated this lesson on peace, and then he said, okay, guys, let's get out of here. I've said enough. We gotta go live life now. The world's ahead of us. And that's what you and I have to do. We have to live life. And we ha- we have to recognize that God has given us the greatest promises that we can have. Don't worry about anything. I, I go I go to a passage that I think about a lot. And and you know, I've also kind of understood this in a different way. Paul said over in Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven. Listen to this. I'm going to to leave you. Now, this is the practical part of this. I want to leave you with how to have the peace of God. And uh, this is is my lesson. It's your lesson. This is for all of us. Paul tells you how to have God's peace. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. Okay. Listen. Don't worry about anything. That's the first word. But in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. So first of all, Paul tells you because of what God has promised and because of God, what he has said, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about things. It is, it is wasted energy and effort. It is a distraction against what God's doing in your life. But he says instead, but in everything, in everything, in your good times, in your good grades, in your bad grades, in times when you're getting married, in times when you lose your spouse, in times of health and sickness, but in everything... Through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your request known to God. If you are burdened and weighted down, then share in your prayers in everything with prayer and petition through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. That means that when we start praying, we start thanking God for all the things that he's done. And we bear our souls to God with our petitions, whatever they are, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving. And so you are praising and thanking God for who he is while you are asking God. Now I know a lot of you are pretty good at asking God. I'm pretty good at asking God, but are you covering all your ask with prayers of thanksgiving? Because, listen, as one writer says, because when we bring our requests, which are everything, every possible cause for our anxiety, we are casting our cares on God and declaring our absolute dependence on him in that process. And Paul says, let your requests be known to God and the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, every thought your thoughts I've had those thoughts thoughts of despair and grief and loss and guilt and pain and the peace of God which surpasses every thought every thought will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus now that's a solution for you so church Here's what you do. If you have a troubled heart today. First of all make sure you know Christ. Make sure you have him planted in your life. And secondly. You take this word. And you apply it in your life. And you take this passage of scripture. Right there and you wear it out. If you don't have peace of God in your life. You take that as a promise. As God's solution. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Pepper and saturate your request with thanksgiving about who God is. And the peace of God, which surpasses every thought, every thought, not some of them, not the few of them, but all of them, every thought, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's the peace of God. That's the peace He gives us, the peace He left us for a time such as this. God, thank you for your word. Let us cling to it desperately as we need it. Lord, touch our hearts with it as only you can do. Move us closer to you to walk in fellowship. To walk in obedience. To walk in love for what you've done. Lord, if there is one that doesn't know you, draw them to this altar. To this place today. Move their hearts and touch them. Draw us all closer to love you and learn from you and what you've done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.